0: I want to clarify what I said. To I, I, I didn't say to give me maximum time. But I was told that there's, this is Baptism Sunday. And if I don't end on time, the whole Chinese church will be waiting for for you. And I was very pressured. I, I was very stressed. So the only two things I can do, I can, I can trim the script or I can increase the speed, uh, both of which I can't. Then she may said, "Then you got to tell uh, Clement to sh- shorten the worship, which of course is such a brilliant idea." Thank you, Clement. <laughs> and we're um, going to start this uh, sermon like this. I I I've really found this sermon a bit difficult, and my friend told me, "But every sermon is difficult for you, uh. But really, this is a bit difficult, and you will. I, I will just explain to you why. It is the way the book um, ends. Um. We started this sermon series uh, on the eleventh of February. Uh, the sermon series is in Esther, Nehemiah, and with uh, Haggai in between. Uh, we wanted to do it together because in the Hebrew Bible, it is really one book, one book with one story, and this is the story of uh, the return of the remnants. To Jerusalem, rebuilding of the temple, the war, and the city. One story. It has taken us four months, February to now 1st of June. Uh, Ten sermon. This is the tenth sermon. And it covers a period of about 100 years. 100 years is quite a long time. Uh, in 100 years, uh, we have uh, 17 American presidents. It is a long time. But this is it. I don't want you to miss uh, the, thing, the parts in, in yellow and the, the four squares below. I want you to remember, please, that this return was completely engineered by God. It was in God's plan long ago. It was prophesied by Jeremiah that after 70 years of captivity, they will return. And it was prophesied by Isaiah that there there will be a man called Cyrus who will be instrumental to these events taking place. And Isaiah prophesied about Cyrus 150 years before it happened. And the amazing thing about these prophecies is that it had to just be perfect in terms of timing. You know, King Cyrus became a king, uh, came to power in 559 BC, but it was not for another 20 years that he would be king of the Persian ram, that his ram would increase and he uh, uh, he would conquer Babylon. And 20 years later, he would be uh, this emperor, then he can make the proclamation, then there uh, was preparation, then they can return. You see, it cannot be too early or too late. The change of power had to happen at the particular time. And then when finally the Jews returned to Israel, it was exactly 70 years this is so amazing. This is of God. And, um, you know, when the title was given to me, uh, Faithful to the End, I was just thinking about uh, the people being faithful to the end, and I thought, no, no, no. From the way Nehemiah uh, uh, ended, it cannot be referring to the people. Uh, maybe Nehemiah was faithful to the end, and I thought, no, this is the story of, of God and the people. And of course, I realized that it is God who is faithful to the end. Uh, do you know that for these events to take place, this 100 years, uh, uh, years of events to take place, God had to raise able leaders to accomplish His purposes? In 100 years, how many Lee Kuan Yew's can we find in Singapore? I mean, in a population of about 3 million. Uh, In in America, it's easy to raise precedence in in a population of 300,000, but among the the people in Babylon, the people in exiles, how many great leaders can you find? It's amazing. God raised quite a number. In these 100 years, God had to move pagan kings to support His plans Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes, and Artaxerxes uh, was initially against uh, 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 blocked the plan of God, and after that he supported the plan of God, all this by the hand of God. In these 100 years, God had to touch well actually more than 49,897 Jews. This, this number is recorded in the Astra passage, but there was a second return of a, a thousand over people with Astra. God had to move the hearts of these people. And when they were down, were discouraged, dispirited, God had to raise prophets to encourage them to make sure that the work continued. It's God, God, God. And I'm confident that God, well, you should listen to this, God can do anything He wants to do at any time He wishes in any way He desires, for any purpose He determines, in His absolute discretion, in His complete disposal, use any part of creation to accomplish His will, to execute His plan, and He did it for the Jews, the Jews who failed Him again and again and again. God is faithful to the end. So Psalm 89, 8, I like this verse. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. Now let's go to, uh, I, I told Jimmy that I will recapitulate. He said, don't take too long to recapitulate. All right, we will just, I'll just give you a, a few high points in the book of Astra and the book of Nehemiah. In Ezra, the high point was when a pagan king, Cyrus, initiates the return of the Jews to, to Israel. High point. And he surrendered all the treasures that Nebuchadnezzar took and he said, take them with you. High point. Worship was restored when the altar was built and then finally the temple was complete, completed. The word was honoured, and then the people, sorry, rededicated themselves. All these are the high points in in Ezra, and there were also high points in Nehemiah. The high point in chapter 6 was when the war was completed in record time, just 52 days. The next high point was when the word of God was honoured, and there was the reading of the word and everybody just wept and they responded to the word uh, when Esther did his thing. Chapter 8. And another high point was when hearts were renewed in chapter 9 and the covenant was made in chapter 10. And, and this is this is uh, very special because they didn't just agree that they will uh, be the Lord's people and they would obey God's command. They wanted it to be in writing and all the leaders had to sign a high point. Covenant making, covenant signing. In chapter 11, another high point, Jerusalem is repopulated. And the last high point in chapter 12, the war was rededicated. Now, if you ask me, the story should have ended in chapter 12. It's a wonderful way to end chapter. The, the whole series, you know, when uh, uh, 3,044 men and, and volunteers said that we are going to move in the city, we are going to make this city strong and prosperous, we will make sure that the temple worship will thrive, We would defend the city. And then there were two large choirs uh, formed and there was uh, a procession of worship and prayer, thanksgiving, rejoicing. And it should end in chapter 12. But no, it didn't end in chapter 12. Nehemiah had to write chapter 13. And let's turn to chapter 13 very quickly because time is short. I will tell you, let's just take a, just skim through it and i tell you why it's so difficult to preach this sermon. You know, on that day, they read from the book of Moses. Um, Alright, so that's verse 1 to 3. I'll, I'll just go to uh, verse 4. Now, before this, Iliashep, the priest, and he, he, he was a high priest at that time, having authority over the storerooms of the house of God, was allied with Tobiah, and he had prepared for him a large room. Previously, they had stored the grain offering, the frankincense uh, articles, and the types of grain, the new wine, and the oil, which God commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers, and as an offerings for the priests. But during all these, it was when I was not in Jerusalem, for in the thirty-second uh, year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon. I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem, and I discovered the evil that Elisha had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And he grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw out all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room, and I commanded them to cleanse the room, to bring back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and frankincense. And I realized that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers did who did the work had gone back to the fields. So I contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of the Lord God-forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place and then all Judah brought the tithes of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And then I appointed treasurers uh, over the storehouse, Shemaiah the priest and Zadok the scribe and the Levites, uh, Pertadiah, and next to them and, uh, Hannah the son of Zekor, the son of Metaniah. For con- I considered them worthy and uh, considered faithful to the task uh, to distribute to the brethren. Verse 15. In those days I saw the people in Judah treading wine presses on Sabbath and bringing to sheep and, and loading donkeys with wine, grapes and figs and all kinds of burden which they brought to Jerusalem on the Sabbath day and I warned them about the day which they were selling provisions. Verse 17, Now they contended with the nobles of Judah and I said to them, What evil thing is this that you do? by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your Father do this? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? And yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath? Verse 21, Then I warned them and said to them, Why did you just, Well, um... No, sorry. Let me just go to verse uh, 23. On those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Esau and Ammon and and Moab, and half of the children spoke the language of Esau and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one of, of these other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck them, struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons for yourself. Verse 30. Thus I cleanse them from everything pagan, and I assign duties to the priests and Levites, each to his service. You see how how sad <laughs> this. This hundred-year history should end. And actually, what happened? What happened when Jeremiah, Nehemiah was away in in chapter thirteen? Um, in chapter let's look at chapter ten. In chapter ten, this was in last week's sermon. They had made covenants. Uh, that they will support God's work and not neglect the Levites. In chapter 13, tithing stopped. The Levites had to return to their fields to work because they were not paid. In chapter 10, they promised that they will keep the Sabbath. In Nehemiah chapter 13, the people worked and traded on Sabbath. In chapter 10, they covenanted that they will be faithful in relationships and not take foreign wives in chapter 13. Well, intermarriage took place. Everything that they promised they wouldn't do, they did. Everything they pledged to uphold, they violated. Even the high priest, Eliasheb. Eliasheb was guilty of because one of his grandsons had married uh, Tobias, Sambalat's uh, no, uh, uh, relative, and it's just inexplicable at the highest level, the man so responsible, so honored and trusted to take care of the temple was the one who was guilty, emptied the room, led one of uh, you know the enemies of. Of, of the lord this this is tobiah the tobiah who mocked ridiculed belittled despised the jew when they embarked on the building you can read that in uh in Esther, uh, nehemiah chapter 2 verse 10 19 nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1 nehemiah chapter 6 verse 2 this is the same tobiah now why why should Such a beautiful story, uh, end with chapter 13. You know, why didn't Nehemiah write chapter 14? I would want to know what happened after 13, right? Actually, there is something like a chapter 14, only that it is not written by Nehemiah. The chapter 14, i.e., the events. Uh, after chapter 13, was written in Malachi. And Malachi was uh, written in this same period. And if you read Malachi, you will know that the priests were unfaithful. They were dishonouring God with cheap sacrifices and corrupted teaching. The people of God were unfaithful, breaking a marriage covenant, robbing God with unpaid ties. The nation was unfaithful, slandering God with just careless, godless talk. So this is, in a sense, like chapter 14. You know what the people were saying? And this is recorded for us in Malachi chapter 314. It is futile to serve the Lord. Malachi 3.14, it's futile to serve the Lord. What do we gain by carrying out all these requirements and and going about like mourners before the Lord God Almighty? You know, what happened is this. The people's attitude had changed. The people's attitude towards God had changed. Uh, Well, they didn't discard their faith. Uh, They were still performing their uh, religious duties. Faith didn't become non-existent, but God just seemed less important and distant. The word was just uh, not appealing, burdensome. And I think that faith didn't disappear suddenly, but it did weaken gradually. It diminished to a stage where they found the sacrifice so costly and burdensome. And maybe even like the Word of God, obeying the Word of God so laborious. You know, I put the part in blue, at the, right at the bottom left-hand corner, the part in blue, the church in Laodicea. Actually, there is a New Testament equivalent of this. You know, I don't know whether you realize that um, the church, uh, the, the book of Colossians was to be read to the church in Laodicea. And you can find that in Colossians 2.1, Colossians 4, uh, verse 13 to 16. It looked really like a viable church, uh, a healthy church, at a time when Coloss- the letter of Colossians was also passed to them to be read. But 25 years later, when the uh, letter of Revelation was written, you know, the, the letters to the churches, Laodicea got one letter, and by then... You can read that in Revelation 3, chapter 3, verse 14 onwards. 25 years later, the Laodicean's heart apparently didn't belong to God, despite the fact that the church was still functioning, it was still an active church. So it can happen. Let me tell you what I think caused all this. What changed from chapter 12 to chapter 13. Well, these things happen. The difficult and dark times is now behind them. It's history. They had overcome pessimism and problems, frustrations and interruptions in the early days. It's, it's no more. The captivity has ended. They had conquered their fears. They resisted opposition. They confronted oppression. They tackled many problems. Discouraged, they were no more. Defeat, that was the past. Temple, it is built. Worship, restored. War, up. City, repopulated. Now they have trade, not threats. Everything was happening according to plan. Now this is good days now. And this is when it gets a bit difficult for the faith. Uh, Faith tends to grow cold when we have no more need and little little need to be seeking God, praying, asking, uh, crying, repenting, because everything is mine. I... Oops. this is for somebody quickly God says without faith it is impossible to please God and to please God is what uh, w- what he wants and I, I'll tell you that Satan if, if it is so important for us to, faith, to have faith then Satan and God wants the same thing um, you know, in Luke chapter 8, I'll I'll just narrate this very briefly. It's not part, the main part of the sermon. You know, in Luke chapter 8 verse 1 to 15, um, you know, in the parable of the sower, what the devil sought to do was this. When the seed was sown, whatever he can snatch, he snatched quickly. Whatever he cannot snatch quickly, he got to kill it quickly. Kill it as soon as possible, and whatever can't be done at that, the second stage, he will try to choke it tightly, choke faith tightly. This is what um, the devil wants, also our faith. Uh, you know, one author wrote in a book I read this, he said that being rich has serious disadvantages spiritually. And he said that, well, um, don't be offended because it's it's not just our opinion, it is what Jesus said. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 22 to 24, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And then immediately he followed. After saying that it's very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus immediately offered hopeful words but what is impossible with man is possible with God, verse 27. And that's chapter 8, right? In chapter 9, Jesus entered Jericho and we see how the impossible became possible with God because there was a man called Zacchaeus. He's not just a rich man, he was an awful rich man and he had to pick the most awful rich man and brought salvation to that man. So you see, although we are a little disadvantaged, but God is very interested in our faith. And this, the passages in Luke 18 and 19 just show us that God is going to do anything, anything to preserve and strengthen our faith as much as the devil wants to destroy and stuff it up and choke it out. Now, let me tell you what God is doing. Romans 8, Romans 5, 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Actually, true. By grace through faith starts with salvation and by grace through faith continues. And I'll put it like this. Grace is God's hand. Grace is God's hand giving. Faith is man's hand receiving. Grace makes it available. Faith accepts it. Faith, grace provides. Faith possesses. Grace is God's part. Faith is man's part. And I will tell you that looking at the history of Israel, it is so clear that this covenant-making God is always stretching out His hand of grace and just waiting for the men of faith to reach out. And this will continue to be uh, the way the faithful God operates. Uh, In other words, I'm saying that God God is pursuing us. We are saved because God pursues us. Many blessings are received without our asking. Uh, No good thing does the Lord withhold from him who walk uprightly. He gives. Psalm 84, verse 11. But uh, we make a mistake if we think that God must always come to us and we don't need to pursue Him. Now, let, let, let me tell, it, uh, tell you what I mean, uh, that, that we should not uh, think that, uh, that God must be the one to take the initiative and pursue us and we don't have to pursue Him. You know, uh, over the years... Um, I've invited friends for healing services. Now, before, before PPH uh, started the healing services, uh, healing service, uh, I had gone to several outside of PPH, meaning Church of Our Saviours, Lighthouse Evangelism. In fact, I was healed in one of these healing services. Many years ago, I had a very uh, terrible skin disease, as you know, and so I went to Lighthouse Evangelism and, and I was healed there. So be, because of my experience, I invited uh, several of my friends to seek healing. Uh, I, I'm prepared to accompany them. Why don't I just go and just just be blessed and let the Lord minister to us? Uh, my res, the, the response I get usually is this, you know. I've already prayed and God knows. If He wants me to have it, He knows my address. Or they will say something like that, why do I have to travel all the way to that church? God is everywhere. I've been prayed for already. Does it mean that being prayed for by 100 people is better? Uh, you, you, have, you will increase your chances of being uh, healed compared to just being prayed for by 2 or 3? So uh, uh, usually uh, they will turn me down. Uh, I, I know what they mean. Of course, I, I know. It's, 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 uh, it's logical. It, it is true that healing can take place anywhere. It doesn't mean that with 10 people praying for you, your chances of healing is higher. Uh, I, I know that you can pray for yourself. Uh, I, I know you can listen to sermons online. However, I don't think it is a bad thing to travel all the way to Malacca just to receive some good messages and to have a special time with God. Or to go to Lighthouse Evangelism or to come uh, for our Wednesday special healing service just to draw close, just to be in an environment of faith, in an atmosphere of worship, just to draw near, even if you don't get healed, just to ask, just to receive, just to let the Holy Spirit minister to you. And even if healing doesn't take place, I feel that many times when I go for these special meetings, my faith is strengthened. I receive the word. I receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And no, actually, what I'm saying is that it is not wrong. It is quite good. I think it pleases God when we pursue Him like this. And and I will continue to do this. How many of you uh, like to go for uh, a day of His power? Uh, Global Day of Prayer, momentum and events like this, I do. Oh, why are we going for more and and so many of these meetings? Is is because it is a special appointment with God for me, and I. Sometimes the the teaching is good, but mostly it's because I just want to be in the Lord's presence, to minister to the Lord in worship, to have the Lord touch me and minister to me, to just be in the Lord's presence, to pursue Him, in other words, just to pursue Him. And I don't think that that is bad. You know, this is what uh, God says. He went to Asa, because Asa led a revival in the days of Judah, and he he got a a prophet to, to speak to Asa. Listen to me, Asa, you and all of Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And of course, they sought the Lord. And all Judah, verse 15, rejoiced about the oath that they had made because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought the Lord earnestly and he was found by them. God pursue us, but we also should be pursuing God. He values that. Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 7.14, uh, so famous, so read so many times, if my people will humble themselves, pray and seek and turn away from their wicked ways, I will, I will turn to them. And Jeremiah 29.13, you will seek me, And you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. Deuteronomy 4, 49. But if from there you seek the Lord, your God, you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. So, the Lord pursues us with the hand of grace and we reach out too with the hand of faith. Uh, I discussed a sermon with my brother, um, um, Lawrence, uh, in a week ago, and I said that, you know, I don't understand chapter 13. Why must it end like that? Does revival have to all fizzle out? You know, I look at reading the, the history of the Welsh revival in, in Wales, and, and of course there, there were many others in, in history. It, it seemed like they have fizzled out. And I said, well, you tell me about the LSBC uh, story tell me what happened. Of course, I also had the little book. La. He just filled me on the, some of the details. Uh, Lawrence said that Lawrence said that uh, when LSBC was known as Exodus Brennan Chapel, uh, Exodus Brennan Chapel was shrinking towards uh, 1990, 1991, 92. It, it, they were doing very badly. At the peak, there were 120 people. But it just continued to, uh, to string, and members were leaving, uh, running a church. It said, as a leader, running a church was wearisome. For the people, serving was tiring. Members tell him, "Oh, the messages don't speak to me. So people left. Attendance dropped to below 100 and then 90 and then 80. The church was dying and uh, when the leaders met and they said, do you agree? that the church is dying, all the leaders agreed the church is dying. So my sister-in-law, Cindy, one day was walking back to, uh, to his house across the road and he asked Lawrence, Lawrence, you're going to do something about it. What are you going to do about it? Of course, my brother didn't know what to do about it because he had already done all that he knew he could do. you want livelier music? Let's have contemporary songs. If it's too boring, let's add a few more instruments. And tried to make the sermons more interesting but the members kept leaving so what did, what did they do? they said, well, we've got to do something about it but we don't know what to do about it let's just pray so they set up a core team a small prayer group alright, in uh, 90, 1991, they set up a, a small group in 1992, there was a second prayer group, also a small little thing But you know, the church is about 80 plus it's not very big And then in 1993, there was a church camp. Uh, The church camp was on the 31st of May, 1993, 25 years ago. And how many people attended the church camp? 40 plus, because the church was only 80 plus, and half the church going was already uh, a big deal. 40 plus people. And then uh, Benny Ho, who was uh, new new to them, uh, just preached a very ordinary message, you know, not not emotionally manipulative type of message. But at the end of the message, Benny Ho uh, just requested hands to be raised, anyone who is feeling spiritually dry and wants to touch from the Lord, and there were so many hands. He was standing behind, he saw many hands, and then he called the people up for ministry, and there were a lot of tears it was very uncomfortable, a lot of tears. And then on the second day, the next morning, on the second day, uh, Benny Ho preached a message on prayer and he said that, well, stand anybody who feels that your prayer life is in shambles and you want the Lord to touch you, so many people rose. And then he went forward to do ministry and I was doing ministry, there was a lot of whipping and then something broke. There were a lot of hugging, they wept as they hug, and they confessed their sins to one another, and there was reconciliation. They didn't know what was happening, because this is a brethren church, and uh, they're not used to this uh, display of emotions. And so the camp committee met, what are we going to do? We're going to pray. So they organised a prayer meeting on the second night, just to pray. And of course, when they're so hungry and thirsty and they are pursuing God and in the prayer meeting, more things happened. Uh, and uh, he said that that was a turning point. They didn't understand this when they, they brought this back to the church to report to the, the other half of the church. They, they were puzzled. In fact, they needed help that was when my sister Jennifer had to come back from Brunei back to Exodus Berenice Chapel to be the midwife to explain to them what was happening. It is a revival. It's a pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And I asked my brother, what happened? How long did it last? He said it lasted, well, this, this dramatic part, meaning tearing confessing of sins, uh, reconciliation, people feeling, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 just the touch of, of God in a, in a very physical way, uh, people falling down, there was some breaking out in tongues, and very, very unusual things. But it only happened for one year. After that, there were no more. But was the fire sustained? So, yes, it was sustained. Because in that time, church attendance quickly went up to over 100, 120, 150, 180. By the time they left this place, it was almost 200. And that was when they they bought the Algang Link and they changed the name to Living Century. And uh, Lawrence told me that it is a battle to keep the faith because now situations are very different now. They have the land, they have the building, people have jobs. Now they have 2,000 members, so it, they have grown uh, 25 times. Um, they have to keep the fire going and said that this is, this is an ongoing and continuing task of just keeping the fire going. And the, the church is growing. So actually, it doesn't have to fizzle out. What is needed is when God's hand of grace is stretched out, the hand of faith has to reach out to. And I will tell you another uh, story before I sum up and tell you <laughs> what the, the point I'm making. Uh, there is at that time, um, uh, this is living century now, uh, there was um, my brother, actually uh, it was Sauchi Chi who told me, okay, that she was the one who got to know this denomination called gpsk this is a, a denomination started by americans in kalimantan and they reached out to the dayaks and uh, oh no <sighs> <sighs> i i cannot tell the story no, I, 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 second service. <laughs> I tell you, there was... I, the LSPC story tells me that there was a real thirst. There was dryness. There was spiritual hunger. And God knows us better than we know ourselves. It is God who recognised our hearts before we even recognise our own hearts. It is the Good Shepherd who will bring about renewal. God is more interested in the renewal than we are. And when he sees eyes forming, he cannot remain. He cannot do nothing. He cannot just wait and do nothing. And so he stirs the heart of people. He troubles us with a holy dissatisfaction and, and everybody is just disturbed. He intervenes sometimes purposefully with trials, with troubles, with uh, with unusual things. And in LSBC, actually something troubled them. Just prior to the revival, there was a uh, Joseph and Pec Ching lost their eldest child, a two-year-old baby who was killed in an accident in the uh, in bird park. And because it's a very, very small church, the church was engrieved. And all these, all these things were happening. And then, as God's hand is always stretched out, they reach out to God and it just happened. Nothing dramatic happened in Malacca. It was just that God visited them. Luke 11, and Jesus said that you, you got to keep asking. You got to, you got to keep seeking. You got to keep knocking. Hebrews 10, 12, come near to God and he will come near to God, let us draw, sorry, Hebrews 10.22 says, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts, with full assurance that faith brings. Because he has already sprinkled our hearts clean from a guilty conscience. The hand is stretched out. You reached out. Pursue him. It doesn't have to be Nehemiah 13 it can be a Nehemiah 10 and 11. Why can't we be in Nehemiah 10 and 11 and 12? Uh, I think God's desire is that we know him. Jeremiah 9:24 says that if you want to boast about anything, boast about this, that you understand and you know me. And Hosea 3.13 produces in two different versions. In NLT it says, Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know Him. And He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of the dawn or the coming rains of the early spring. And in the CEV version, let us do our best to know the Lord. His coming is as certain as the morning sun. Let us press on. This is what God wants. Let's pursue Him. You know, uh, Revelations 3.20, as you know, uh, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, is not an evangelistic text. It was written to backslidden Christians and when Jesus said, Here I am, stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, this verse is Jesus' call to repentance and a promise for renewal of the fellowship uh, for those who will heed and respond. You know, I uh, I want to end the sermon quickly so that we can witness a baptism. Uh, God doesn't change. We change. We are unstable. God is faithful and reliable. And when He closed the book of Malachi, in chapter 3 and 4 of Malachi, it came with the promise of the coming Messiah. That is God's hand of grace reaching out. That I will, in spite of everything, I'm coming, and I'm coming for you. First Corinthians 1 9, God is faithful, and he has called you into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ the Lord. Malachi 3, verse 6 and 7: I the Lord do not change. You know, uh, this is a pre- church camp sermon, and uh, which is why I want to keep it simple like this. Simple, right? It's very simple. It's, I'm ending. I, I want to ask you now, before we go for the church camp in five days' time, do you yearn for something more in your life with Christ? Uh, I want to ask you whether the thrill of uh, personal devotion is gone, I want to know whether there is a spiritless boredom as you serve. I want you to ask yourself whether the joy of the Lord has gone missing. You know, know, we we don't have to wait for a church revival. God seeks a personal renewal. It is on God's mind that He wants to visit you now. Anybody. Anybody who would reach out to the hand of grace and to receive from him. Uh, I want to ask, uh, as, as you make preparation to go to the camp, what are you seeking God for yourself, and what are you seeking for someone close to yourself? I want to ask whether you people uh, attend BSF and and this special Bible classes and precept, you attend spiritual retreats, you you go all the way to Bangkok for your seminars. I I, I know not all seminars are helpful to me, but who am I to tell you that it is a waste of time for you? I attend the Global Day of Prayer, as I've said, and many, many prayer events because it may not be exciting for you, but it's a special time for me. It's my way of just having an appointment with God. It's my way of pursuing God. And will God not know this? Does He not see? Very often in these meetings, I really feel refreshed and my faith is nourished and strengthened and I feel that God is drawing me close to Him. This is a pre-church camp uh, sermon, as I said. I want, I want you to seek God now before the camp and I want, I hope, I pray that you will be expecting something from the camp. This is not another church camp. Uh, I once asked, uh, actually one, one particular close friend to join me in church camp, and said that, "Hey, what a waste of time. It's, it's as if we don't have good sermons online, go all the way. Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. He has not attended a single one of these, but I've attended every one. And I'll tell you why. I look forward to listening to God. And not that all the sermons are good. It doesn't really matter that the sermons don't speak to me uh, all the time. Uh, but God still speaks to me. It's the time for me to, to take some serious uh, self-inventory. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says this. It is the core... 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourself and see whether you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Second Corinthians thirteen five, and I'll end with this verse from Malachi. Malachi chapter three says this. You know, Malachi chapter just just before, uh, just in verse fourteen, Malachi chapter three, the people says, "It is useless to serve God. What's the prophet that we have kept in? What is the prophet?" That we have kept his ordinance. But then those who feared the Lord, verse 16, Malachi 3:16, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened. And the Lord heard. And a book of remembrance was written before them for those who feared the Lord, who meditated on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day. I will make them my jewels. I will spare them. As a man spares his own son who serves him, then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not. You know, when we go for our little gatherings, when we travel all the way for our seminars and we meet together for our studies and people who fear the Lord talk and we think, and we share, and the Lord listens and says that, well, I know, I've taken note of this, you people who pursue me, I will remember you, and I will show you that there is a distinction between those who serve me and those who do not. So this is uh, the word of the Lord for us today, 10.30, and we are going to close in prayer, and I'm going to ask the Lord to really bless us and prepare us before the church camp. And uh, for those of you who cannot go, I know there are for, for various reasons you cannot make it. I know a few friends who just got to work or travel. Uh, pray with us. And we will also remember you, but pray with us for this special time with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us to this point in PPH, uh, 35 years here, a long time since the founding of the church, a long history, and we've gone through so much. I pray, Father, that you will sustain this church and you will trouble us if we don't seek you and pursue you. By the grace of God, Come to us, God. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us heart to respond and the will to act. Father, renew us. Father, sustain us. Father, reform us. Let this be a continuing work because you are so faithful. I pray that this church camp will be our holiday with you and it will be a special one. Use Pastor uh, Bishop Robert Solomon, prepare him even now because what he has prepared may not be what you want him to say and so I pray that you will deposit in him even now something that, is, that you want us to receive. Our hands are reached out to you, God. Our hands of faith holding the hand of grace. Father, fill this vessel Fill this vessel with your treasure. Fill us with more of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Let's go downstairs. Thank you. Thank you.